0: Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And, uh, well, we kind of missed some holiday celebrating, uh, meaning the summer solstice, which I believe was...
1: Either the 21st. 21st or the 22nd. Yeah,
0: and our anniversary, so, so, um, number 46.
1: Yeah, happy, happy 46th wedding anniversary, my dear. <laughs> Holy Moses. Yeah, it's a long time, huh? And it certainly
0: is a long time.
1: But, 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 but we're here again, just like we always are, on Sunday mornings with another On The Menu radio program. And this week, we're, doing, going, we're going kind of veggie. It's not...
0: It's not, not, I not, can't not, can't not,
1: not 100% it, veggie, but I can't it's kind of veggie. can't quite
0: call it... A, a food trend, it's a growing attitude towards eating that I think that we identify as vegetarian and all these variations, vegan and all the other.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, and, and there's and there's a word for it. The 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 author of our, the book we were reviewing in our in our very first part of the program is roughage. See, I thought that was your, attractive title. <laughs> it's not a particularly attractive word, but it is a very good description of what we should all be doing more of. <laughs> so so why don't we why don't we kick in to Ruffage? Abra
0: Barons and, and her book Ruffage.
2: Abra Barons, this is one
0: hefty book you wrote. It's called <laughs> Ruffage. A Practical Guide to Vegetables with 100-plus recipes and 230-plus variations. And what, boy, do you not... And you you got humor into it, too, which I love. (laughs)
3: Well, thank you so much, (laughs) and thank you for being interested.
0: Oh, well, I mean, why not? I mean, you're right on target, of course. uh, I can't even begin to tell you how many uh, vegetarian books we've had lately.
1: I mean, what could, what could be wrong with a book that has, like, 25 pages on asparagus?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, your introduction is really important. First of all, um, the, the foreword, uh, I mean, I, I read that, and Francis Lamb, and I said, oh, well, this is going to be a good book.
3: <laughs> yes, I feel very fortunate. I met Francis. Um, when I was in college at University of Michigan, he was a professor at an English program that I went on where we moved to Maine and studied Transcendentalism while living in the area. And he was the first person to ever uh, let me taste Swiss chard, and I will forever be in his debt for it.
0: Great. Yeah, well, of course, I'm a Wolverine as well.
3: <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of us.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of us. I know, it's a big school. Um I I was thinking about you. We've been eating really pretty salads because, um, for some reason the wild violets have taken over our whole backyard.
3: Oh, beautiful.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I just, I checked to make sure that eating the leaves were okay. Mm. But, but they are. They're fine.
1: Well, don't forget my pea shoots, too.
0: Only um, pea shoots that they're up to. Tell us, in your own words, like, for no, you, you have it, your own words in actual in the book, but I mean <laughs> for our listeners, um, what were you trying to do with your introduction? I mean, it's very inter- common sense. It really is common sense. I thought when you said somebody said you you cooked like a um, like a home economics teacher, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that wasn't meant as a compliment. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that sums up one of the frustrations that I've had around uh, vegetable cookery is that there is um, there is sometimes a lack of, of common sense and, and a lack of um, ability to, to, to riff on a recipe when you're dealing with seasonal ingredients or, you know, just dealing with what's at your grocery store. So the introduction for me is a, is a quite a bit about how farming really changed my relationship to food. Uh, I, before farming, um, was, you know, much more excited about like, you know, big pieces of prime rib or big pork chops and things like that. <laughs> um, you know, and then when I started farming vegetables, I, I realized how, how much I was enjoying the, the different textures and flavors and colors, you know, there's, there's many fewer similarities between a stock of asparagus and a tomato than there are between a pork chop and a ribeye. So uh, there's a whole range of, of color palettes and textures and a, a very diverse um, genre of cooking. But then also, you know, we when we started our farm, I, I sunk my entire savings into that farm um, in that first year. And so... I was pretty poor and was eating the, the remaining things in our garden for dinner every night before going back to Chicago. And it was the same three ingredients. It was these carrots that were still in the ground. They were getting sweeter with each night that it was frosting out. Um, and then also these little tiny baby kale leaves that had, were sprouting up from uh, some kale plants that we had cut back from the year before farming. And then also some really beautiful eggs from our chickens who were, had been you know, moved to another farm for the winter, but I still had some eggs. And each night, the, those same three ingredients created very, very different meals. And so it was then that I realized oh, you know, seasonal eating, you get the same primary ingredients over and over and over again, but by changing how they're presented or how you prepare them, it doesn't have to feel redundant or boring or, you know, like I. Uh, the title comes from my dad sort of saying, oh, you have to eat your roughage," and <laughs> kind of being an inherent drudgery about that. Um, and I was finding that I didn't feel like that was a, a chore at all. It was really an, a delight. And then I moved back to Chicago and I was working in a pie shop and, I, you know, indulging in all of the foods that I had missed while I was, I uh, was farming all summer and then I realized I didn't feel great and I didn't want to be eating any more sweets or you know cheeses or meat boards and charcuterie boards and things like that and I really just wanted some of those carrots and kale and, and a really nice big salad for for dinner and I think that was the time when I realized that uh, vegetables were, were really making me feel good and um, you know I think that there's there's some, there's a lot of shoulds in our world about like what you should be eating and and I, I just found that I needed to listen to myself and realize that sometimes I should be eating many slices of pie and sometimes I need to eat a carrot salad and there's a balance there that I really like but it's not exclusionary of one or the other.
1: Now you also sneak into the golden arches Every, every once in a while, too, right? <laughs>
3: Occasionally, yes. <laughs> well, I was born on St. Patrick's Day, so shamrock shakes are uh, a very nostalgic once-a-year treat, and I, and I really love them. But I think that, that gets back to that idea of um, I really feel like people have to make their own decisions about food, and, and everybody's life circumstance is different, and we make the best decisions we can, and as long as you're being deliberate and honest with yourself, I think that's the best we can all do, and I don't think there should be judgment around the other choices that people make as much as possible.
0: You know, I see a lot of uh, you. You eventually, you're a trained, sh- a trained chef, um, um, a farmer. Uh, you trained at the uh, which we've mm-hmm. been to, and I think a lot of the the common sense approach you bring to this book, I could I can hear Bali in that.
3: Yes, I was so fortunate to train under Dorina and to get to meet Myrtle and and still when she was in the kitchen pretty regularly, and those ladies are you know just powerhouses of of yeah really practical, uh, economical ways of cooking and and delighting over a table and I feel so fortunate you know before I was at Valley Maloo, I worked at Zingerman's. Uh, in Ann Arbor,
0: I know it well. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
3: <it's laughs> but I don't think I had
0: healthy vegetables when I was eating Zingerman's. <laughs> <laughs> they're there, and they're ever more present. But
3: yeah, I mean, Corby's is still so ruling the day there.
1: well um, oh, we ta- we so talked to we talked to two of the people who work at Zingerman's, right? Doesn't he have a baker? Okay,
0: yeah, we t- interviewed the bake he, shop he has, a bake, he has a baker. Oh, right yeah, now. Amy and Frank. Uh, the, I know Ari. I don't know if you've talked to him, but I know him. Yeah,
1: yeah, oh, yeah. I've talked to him before. Sure, yeah. sure. So, the, yeah, they're really wonderful The people. interesting thing about Balamo is even, even though it's where it is, which is fairly far north of the equator, never, nevertheless, something fresh and green is growing in their farm every every day.
3: I think that's true, and I think very much like the Midwest, uh, there's a lot of misperceptions of Irish food and um, Irish agriculture as there are up here. You know, people always say, oh, how can you eat vegetables in the Midwest in, you know, in January? And it's like, we, we have lots of ways to do that. You know, Michigan is the second most agriculturally diverse state in the nation. and
1: I didn't know that. That's yeah, amazing. California. Think of the
0: shape of it. I mean, they... The people that I've got to know in Michigan, who were from the Upper Peninsula, I mean, they're cherries. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, and and they're very different from like the middle or the south of the state.
3: It's true. It's it's a very geographically diverse uh, state and has lots of different growing climates and, yeah. and different. And then if you're
0: right on the lake, that's something else. Yeah. Yeah. So no it's 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 and wonderful.
1: And, and Madonna, a lot of and Madonna's parents grow grapes. Yeah. <laughs> and make wine. Yes. yes.
0: And and you know that one uh a breed of apple was they, uh, several breeds of apples were developed there because um of the the cold climate. Needs of cold climates or immigrants, yeah. yeah. So it's it's I'm I'm a big time Wolverine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so now, um, you say how to use this book, uh, and it's it's first of all, I think that your uh, this adventure and seasoning, this little formula that you did, sums up the whole approach to this book. Do uh. you want to run through that one?
3: Yeah, so uh, this is something, uh, the Adventures in Seasoning is something I do with every cooking class I've ever taught, where the idea is that you make a mayonnaise uh, with egg and you drizzle, put it in the food processor, whiz it up, and drizzle in the oil to make the, the mayo, and then taste it. And there's no salt and there's no acidity in it, and it really tastes bad. It tastes like chicken stock that doesn't have like any salt in it, just kind of flabby and uh, not very appealing. And then you add salt to it, whizz it up, taste it again, and it tastes, like, really pretty good. Uh, you know, and the salt really unlocks the flavor of the oil, it unlocks the flavor of the egg, and kind of, you know, is more than the sum of its parts. Then you just want a little bit of vinegar or a little bit of lemon juice, whizz it up, and taste it again. And it's the way that acidity just lifts food up, lifts flavors up, that I I always want people to taste that difference because it then gives them the ability to taste their food that they've made, you know, if it's not just dressings, but, you know, whole salads or or casseroles or whatever, and uh, be able to adjust that flavor based on what they feel like it needs. And it's a really simple thing, but a lot of uh, home cooks have never um, kind of experienced that combination and that sequence. And so it really helps kind of unlock the, the idea, you know, like when people say in a recipe, oh, season to taste. Yeah. Well, if you don't know what you're tasting for, how do you know how to do that? And that um. also, you know, the idea of seasoning often for most people who don't cook professionally doesn't include an acidic component. And so, you know, you might just keep adding salt to something, which will make it taste good, but oftentimes with some acidity you can use less salt and, and really have those two components playing against each other.
0: Yeah, well, uh, your glossary in itself is a, a culinary course, I think. Um, i <laughs> really enjoyed it. Um, uh, there were some issues I had. I can't remember what it was. Oh, I wanted to know, um, you, you – you, you want a lot of, um, of pickles in your pantry, right? Now uh-huh. Do you actually go through a whole canning process with these? I'm trying to remember. We just interviewed uh, somebody who did quick pickles. Yeah,
3: it's mostly a quick pickle recipe in the book um, because... You know, an entire, you can write hundreds of books about canning and the canning process. So I stuck to Quick Pickles just to not uh, go down the rabbit hole too far.
1: Uh Um,
3: Yeah, but, and that's another part of being from the Midwest is that I really love citrus, but we don't have the same citrus that you get in California or in, you know, in the South. So I tend to rely a lot more on, um, on things like pickles and krauts and, you know, different kind of mixtures like
0: that. Yeah, your favorite veggie is cabbage, but I would never (laughs) come up with that one, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so you have lots of different suggestions for um, dressings, vinaigrettes, and items for your pantry. Uh, And then you go, though, and I mean, the way people are going to use this book, I think, is you have all these veggies arranged alphabetically. Okay, mm-hmm. and so then um, somebody would say, uh, I want asparagus, okay, which is first, I think. Mm-hmm. You go, you tell people how to buy it and then what to look for when they're buying it. Uh, well, you, you actually have a preface to that but, uh, in every chapter. Um, but so it tells you what to look for, so your how to buy, then you do how to store, and then you have additional notes on that, all of this being very useful information, and then you go through preparation methods, a basic one like involving technique like pan roasted, yeah, and you have a recipe for that, and then you have variations on it, and then you you have more variations um yeah you know, I like the I have not done Dill and Parmesan with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ought to be good. Um, some of them are—I are, mean, brown butter vinaigrette, mint is a classic. Then, then you go to the grilled asparagus, and you run through that, and then you have raw, and what you can do with it raw. I mean, I—you do this with every single vegetable.
3: Yeah. So. Yeah. I was as looking for. That,
0: okay. Yeah, I was looking for. So Peter boiled up. Beets, and um, mm-hmm. so it was too late to to, to get your advice on uh, the best way to do beets is to roast steam them right.
3: Yes, at least that's the way that I do it. But it, they, you know, that's not to say that boiled or you know grilled is not an option. It was there was some, you know, as you mentioned, it's a hefty book, and so we did have to do some trimming. So there were more uh, variations and techniques. ...for each vegetable that we ended up trimming back
0: some. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, it, the, it was I'm about to say here about this, the bees. Oh, something very useful to know is... ...you believe in buying quantities of them... ...because they will store so long. But then, you know, we just got these and cooked them... ...and the storage is so much less. Um, it's less time you could store cooked beets than raw beets. You, know, you mentioned yes. that. Yeah. So, yes. so we do frequently end up having to throw out the beets that uh, have gotten slimy and and funny colored.
3: <laughs> yeah, and that's why I wanted to really include that puree. The, you know, puree is the next technique in the beets, and that freezes really well. So a lot of times what I'll do is steam roast the beets in a large quantity and that for me, you know, there's only two of us in our household. So for me, that's like 10 beets and then I'll puree some and freeze it. And then I I will use the rest kind of throughout the week. Uh, And then at the very last minute, a lot of times I will, um, you know, heat up some pickle liquid and just pour it over the cooked beets. And that's another way. But yeah, it's certainly uh, beets are one of those things that because they do take some time to cook, I find that I, I I will eat them more regularly if I have them kind of ready to go. Yeah, but that's it, what we do. We, ha- we always have yeah. them, in
0: yeah, uh, you pair them with a number of things. I mean, I found one really uh, knock your socks off pairing is with the uh, olives. <laughs> mm, yeah, I yeah. love olives and
2: beets together. Yeah.
0: So, anyhow, um, so people will, will probably roam through the book as I did picking a vegetable, and then seeing what they can do with it?
2: hmm
0: Okay. Uh, yeah,
3: and what was the, the whole goal of the book is, is to, I think a lot of times uh, people are trapped in a sense of having to find a recipe and then write a shopping list and go to the store to buy the things for that. And if the store doesn't have what you need or, you know, if it's not in season or something like that, uh, it makes it harder, I think, uh, than to, you know, go to either your market, your grocery store, wherever you get ingredients and buy what looks the best to you and then to come home and be able to make something out of that. That, that is also another transition for me that happened with farming was we do these dinners at our farm and uh, making it so that we can look at the ingredients that are coming out of the garden and then build the menu around that as opposed to the other way around.
0: Right i'm gonna just tell you uh, you you said you don't like the, uh, the the juice that comes with the canned beans yeah uh, well everybody's cooking you know they're whipping up uh, what do you call it from chickpeas the aquafaba yeah
3: aquafaba
0: yeah yeah i mean i know there's a place for
3: it i uh, it it never tastes very like bright and fresh to me no. and i'm not a vegan so i don't tend yeah. to need a vegan option for baking, but uh, I certainly think it's useful to use it if, if you're into it.
0: Um, we tried, our green grocer had fresh um, chickpeas.
4: Oh, beautiful.
0: No. Uh, have you ever tried to clean a whole mess of
3: <laughs> fresh yeah. chickpeas? <laughs> yeah. I feel like fresh chickpeas and fresh, fresh baba beans are... Delightful for the this first is, hour. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> but we found the uh, the Trader Joe's has flash frozen. Isn't it Trader Joe's? Whole Foods. Oh, Whole Foods has f- flash frozen chickpeas. Mm, yeah, and that works. So, yeah. I think. I mean, I love potatoes. You like potatoes too, huh? I do. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to find out what to do. I loved reading about your experiment with the um, uh, Jerusalem artichokes, these <laughs> <laughs> <We> have <laughs> You never get rid of them. <laughs> My yeah, mother planted yeah, them yeah. in our garden, and I mean, it doesn't matter what you do, <laughs> they come back.
1: And they, get, they, go, they go hide in places where you can't get a shovel. It's <laughs>
0: true,
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But, you know, what I don't, give us some tips here. A lot of them go to waste because you can't harvest them until after the first frost. And by the time you have a first hard frost, the ground is too hard to be digging in
3: it. Mm, yeah, we we harvested them a little bit sooner at Bare Knuckle. We would harvest them as soon as the flower part of the plant started to die back. Okay. Um, which was usually kind of the middle to end of October. Um And then we would harvest them in the spring as well, but they don't store as long because by the time the ground has softened up to be able to dig them out, uh, you know, they're starting to get ready to put their shoots up. Yeah, well, that's what they're
0: doing now here, so I'm going to lose another season of them.
3: Yeah. Thankfully, they'll come back every season. Yeah, that's true. The lifetime of opportunities.
0: Well, anyhow, Albert, this is a a terrific book. It's the be a resource for anybody needed to find out everything you needed to know about vegetables. I wonder if you even had that funny thing in here. Um what's the name of that funny vegetable? Mm-hmm. It's not rutabaga, it's the other one. I, I,
1: don't, don't, know. C- this, I don't, don't know, kohlrabi? Kohlrabi.
2: <laughs>
0: I never I don't knew know. what to do with kohlrabi, so now I know. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that
3: is a vegetable that everyone no one knows what to do with Kohlrabi. So <laughs> it's uh it's become a real staple crop for us at Greener Farm. Uh and so yeah, it felt exciting to to try to give people a little window into into Kohlrabi. Yeah.
0: And you know I discovered something else that's good with beets, just for your information try it. Is um Zatar. Oh
3: that sounds beautiful. It's yeah, wonderful. that would make sense. Yeah.
0: Okay, Abra Barron's, the book is Ruffage, and it is indeed a practical guide to vegetables, and I wish you much success with this book because it's a a lot of effort and a lot of experience has gone into presenting all of this very useful information.
3: Thank you so much. I think it's wonderful. I had a
0: great time with it.
3: (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. It really, you know, it's a... It's a really nice thing to have it out in the world and people actually being able to read it and not just be something that I'm working on on my computer. You know, There's a team full of of women who helped uh, create it between the photos and the illustrations and the design and everything, and we're all just so happy that it's entering the world. So thank you for reading.
0: Thank you for talking to us. Of course, of course.
1: And don't go away, because there'll be more on our veggie scheme of... Scheme, I'm looking for a different word. Our veggie emphasis, shall we say, right after the break, so don't go away.
2: Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
1: I don't think we asked our next guest where she got her first name but but i'm I'm guessing it was from a relative and a, a relative with a fairly old fashioned perspective on life because she was born and raised in Australia and her first name is Hattie, Hattie.
0: but she's Chinese, so that's not exactly oh, so, a no, traditional not, no, Chinese no, there thing. You
1: go. well i never never thought about that
0: yeah um, well Hattie is. Hetty McKinnon um, has had a very complex, complicated but productive life, um, full of energy, and her book, "Family: New Vegetarian Comfort Food,", Comfort Food is really a, a, a model for for that kind of balanced life. So she, so she so does pretty she much what she wants,
1: and, she, and she's based in Brooklyn. Yes, like, like everybody else in the world,
0: it seems it, like. Yes, so but um, she she's all kinds of ventures, including uh, her very popular peddler journal. Anyway,
1: shall we shall we do it?
0: Yeah, let's, let's let Hetty tell it because she's very very articulate. Hetty McKinnon. Your book, Family, is a, a really lovely book. It's subtitled "New Vegetarian Comfort Food to Nourish Every Day," and uh, mm-hmm. I've I've been relishing the fine photography in it as well as the recipes. I have a number of questions if you'll straighten out okay. the, the mystery here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to start with, let's say this is vegetarian but not vegan, right?
4: Yes, that's correct.
0: That's correct. Absolutely. And um, you allow um, dairy, right? Uh
3: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And um, let's get, you're in Brooklyn, but you were born and raised in Sydney, Australia.
4: That's correct.
0: Okay, <laughs> um, I, I love it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you have a number of strains of, of ethnic influence in your background. Could you tell
4: us what those are? So I was born in Sydney. You're correct. Uh, my parents were first generation immigrants from the south of China, from Guangdong Province. Okay. So I grew up eating only Chinese food. Um. We, when my, when I was, there was a a very traditional Cantonese dinner every single night for for dinner, which is, you know, a bowl of rice with five or six offerings in the middle of the table, um, savory offerings. And it was not until I was an older teenager that my mom, like, kind of cooked her first Western dish, which was probably a T bone steak. And I remember thinking, (laughs) whoa, what is this? thing that she's just put on the table like this was wild to us so um yeah I've gone through like quite the journey of food because you know Cantonese cuisine is very meat heavy and we definitely ate a lot of meat growing up and probably I would I've often said probably most meats that have not that are known to man I've probably eaten um and with you know, without any fuss, we ate you know tripe was an, 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 tripe and and tripe in black bean sauce was a normal dish we ate for dinner. You know, pig intestine soup was just a, you know an everyday soup that my mum would put on the table. So all these meats were um, not that unusual to me. Um, but then in my teens, I started not wanting to eat meat anymore. So this was kind of my journey into discovering flavours. Um, from all over the world because as you mentioned i'm from australia and australia is such a melting pot of culture and flavors as a very young country too you know like it's even i think you, you mentioned before we went on air that you lived in melbourne in the 60s and 70s and uh, that was you know kind of the very peak time of immigration um so australia today is like you live in Asia, like you live in the Mediterranean, like you live in the, the Middle East, there is just so much influence in our everyday food. Um, and when I became vegetarian, uh, in my teens, um, as a, as a, a path I chose for myself, um, it, I, it really opened my eyes up to so many flavors and all the possibilities in food.
1: Now, am I, am I right that there's a, cr- is a Korean connection somewhere, or is it just that you like Korean food because it's similar to Cantonese food? I mean, am I am I getting um, the wrong? Is, am I mean, I wrong flavour.
4: I'm not Korean at all. Um, no, no, I I'm didn't 100%, think so. One hundred percent. My both my parents are Cantonese, um, but when I moved to the US, so Korean food is the one food that when we still we left Sydney five years ago. And at the time, I don't know it could, things could have changed because things do change on the culinary scene. But at the time, there wasn't a lot of Korean food in Sydney. Um, there was a lot of Korean and Japanese hybrid restaurants. Um, barbecued Korean food there was, but when I moved to New York, I, when you know with Koreatown um, in Manhattan, there's I discovered like all these dishes which were not things that I associated with Korean food. Previously, um, and so there's a few of those recipes in the book. Um, f- for example, the Korean tofu stew, yes.
0: um,
4: which I've that is just it's actually my daughter's favourite dish of all time, um, and it's it's just beautiful. Like it's so hearty, and it's like soft tofu that's been you know stewed in a in like chili in Korean chili sauce and with kimchi in it, and it's just so hearty and I guess I have a natural, um, you know, I'm naturally inclined to foods like that because they do remind me of my childhood. And, you know, the flavors of and the Korean food is a lot spicier than Cantonese. Oh, food, shoot. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> That's which sure. I enjoy.
4: Yeah. I like Tell us about your husband. Where
0: is, where is he from?
4: My husband is um, Australian. So he grew up in uh, about three hours outside of Sydney. Um, and his family are from, um, his dad is from, uh, the UK, like Scotland, the McKinnon surname. Yeah. Man. Uh, Scotland and England, and his mother is kind of similar and part French, part German, and, and English. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you have a lot of
0: different, as I said, influences in your cooking,
4: but you, mm-hmm. you, there's
0: certain things that you can, I can tell you have an affinity to Um, tell us about your business because you have a really inspirational
4: section on salads. Yes, and so salads are really my heart. For those listeners who don't know, I started out as a salad maker. So I didn't start out writing cookbooks. Um, In about 2011, I started a salad business which operated essentially from my home. And it was really before this um, I didn't cook I was not a cook I was not involved in food I was I worked for many years in public relations um, and then stopped kind of had a natural little break because I was having children I had three children in very quick succession and we had in that time moved back from the UK back to Sydney and after I had my third child I just started looking at cookbooks and discovering that you know maybe i would like you know teach myself to cook a little bit more like all these different flavors so i looked at cookbooks and there was a lot of mediterranean books like Ottolenghi's very very first book before plenty came out the the original book um and and there were some australian chefs in there too and i just kind of got inspired by all these different flavors and i've been a vegetarian for 25 years and so I love vegetables, so I started kind of just creating my own salads. Um, These and not salads, salads are like,
0: fabulous! I mean, they're just fabulous. Yeah, thank I am also a salad person. She's Peter a, will tell a, you she's a salad.
1: She's a salad freak. Yeah, I am. I mean, I, <laughs> I have just, salad just
0: like just like, like, just like for breakfast. <laughs> then I have Your salad have with a like chicken for lunch. I just
4: I ate a salad for lunch. So, yeah, I mean, I just feel like salads are such a great blank canvas for wherever you want to go with your food and for me salads were always like this adventure like you could take a and they're not I mean I would like to say my salads are not everyday salads they're not lettuce based they're not really leaf based Um, they're predominantly vegetable based um, with a roasted or grilled or some sort of cooked component and thrown in with you know some sort of um, grain or something hearty some legumes it could be noodles. It could be rice, um, and I started cooking these salads from my home and just sharing them with my community. I I bicycled them around. Um, I mean, I did. Uh, you know, there was an exchange of money, but it didn't feel like that. Like often, it was, it was just really me wanting to cook and discovering this that connection that comes from sharing food. Sounds, and I sounds, that.
1: sounds to me yeah. a little bit like what. What Ann makes sometimes, which I call stick salad. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
4: What's a stick salad? It's,
1: just, it's everything that came out of the garden. Some of it's indeed is sticks. I, I forage our garden, you know. So.
4: Oh, wonderful. Yeah. What's,
1: that, what's that succulent you like so much? Oh, I
0: can't remember now.
1: You know the one. You know yeah, the, but I can't remember. I remember right the down. name of it. Okay.
0: So, um, but anyhow, <laughs> you got the other thing that, that you enjoy that I like too. Is um, beans, you know, the, mm-hmm. but you know, I never thought you could. I usually start with um, regular dried beans. I don't know if you have met Rancho Gordo yet in California with these wonderful beans he has.
4: Oh, Steve, yes, I do know
0: them. Steve Sando, They're wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. But uh, you actually, will, you said the cans are okay. Uh, but you actually managed to drain them and roast them, and I thought that was something I never tried.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, they are. I'm going to make that soon, actually, for tonight. But it's a real staple in our house. Beans are... Um, I mean, family, the book Family is really kind of my journey towards finding the foods that I could feed to my family, my kids who were not vegetarian, who are not vegetarian. Uh, before... This book, really, we were eating lots of different meals around the table. I was making a salad and then I would make some sort of meat component for them. And I was doing this for years. And then when I started writing family, I, was, I just kind of discovered why am I cooking, you know, food for them and different food for me? Like they should be able to eat what I eat because I'm the cook in the family. So these recipes are really um, for all palates, not just for children, but for all palates that may be a little bit... Um, not as open to uh, vegetarian food. Um, so beans are a really important part of the diet at home. And I'm a working mom, like, I don't have time. I often forget to soak my beans. And so I don't want that to be what prevents me from eating beans on a regular basis. So, so your kids don't want,
0: complain. They, they just lap up
4: these salads because that's great. <laughs> they love it. They love it, but you know they've had years of they've had years of training. Um, You know they've always been around my salads, and they they didn't always love them as much as they do now. But now they're very open, like to eating salads for dinner, and it's you know we eat salad for dinner two or three nights a week. Um, It's you know, something that they really enjoy. But, you know, I always try to make things interesting for them. I don't yeah, always I mean, think about the same
0: thing. I don't know what inspires you, but, I mean, I'm looking. Your salads are so interesting. Here's one burnt honey carrot and tahini soup with pistachio duca. I mean, <laughs> it's <laughs> rather
1: amazing.
0: <I>
4: have <laughs> That's a, a lot of fun. I have a different question.
1: Is, is, is your husband a vegetarian too? No,
4: he's not. No, he's not. But okay. he's so he. So the story of our family is: I was the only vegetarian, and then in the last year, my daughter actually turned pescatarian, and now she's one hundred percent vegetarian like me. Okay. But you know, we eat dairy and eggs. The boys in the family will eat vegetarian at home, but they'll uh, you know they're permitted to go out and order you know meat when we go out for dinner, for example. So I just don't cook meat at home anymore, but. With a, with honestly, with the book like family, I don't really need to. Like we eat this type of food every day, and it is really the these are the recipes I do turn to when I'm like not quite sure myself what to cook for dinner. I'll go through the book and um, you know find something suitable. So yeah, now, which which
1: is which is some of the pages that are turned over the most in your book? The what?
4: Um, well, I love the deconstructed falafel salad. Oh, I love that I, too, love
1: the,
4: yeah. I love falafel, but I mean, I'm not going to be standing there making them and frying them and doing all that on a weeknight, definitely not. So that salad is, is one of my favorites. I'm going to make a version of that tonight, actually. Um, so it's got tahini dressing, it's got crispy chickpeas, uh, some sauteed kale, and some pita croutons. If you, you know, just store-bought pita chips is okay. Just a, my, my salads are all about texture um, and, you know, kind of layering of those flavors. So that's a favorite. Um, and also the halloumi and mint and um, kale gozleme, the Turkish flatbreads. Um, that's actually a dish that I've been cooking for my kids for a very long time, since they were really little. Um, but this, since this is my first book. This is my third cookbook altogether. My first two books are all salads. And so this is the first book where I've had the opportunity to include recipes that are not just salads. So the gourmet recipes in there, um, the soup recipes are in there, a lot of the bakes and the yeah. Asian dishes are in there. Now what too, about so. this
0: other section? I was trying to figure this out. and um, The section where you it's like half of the book where you uh, bring into play, these various families. And they, mm-hmm. have, they have all yep. these different uh, uh, cooking styles and ethnic influences. Uh, how yep. does this come about? I mean, how do you pick these people? And um, it, you, you have like here, you have the family story and you have the picture and then you have cooking from scratch with Julia Busuto Nishimura. I'm not sure what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you have the stories about that family, and then you have their recipes. Mm -hmm. Tell me about, tell us about that whole Um, section, because there are are a whole um, bunch of them.
4: Yeah, there's about 10, I think, altogether, 9 or 10 stories in family, and these are other people's family stories. I mean, there's a very natural progression in um,
2: my life
4: where I wanted to share other people's stories. Um, and it kind of comes from this belief that I have that through food we can really find common ground. And so these people are telling stories. Um, these are all my friends, so I didn't, I don't usually have to look look that afar. Um, living in New York and having lived in many places in the world, I naturally have friends who are from you know lots of different ethnic backgrounds and have lots of diff- different life experience. So even though, say, for example, um, Chitra Agaral, who lives in um, he lives in Brooklyn, she has a, an amazing... How do I know Indian her? Does she, is she... So she has, she has... She's got a cookbook, too, called Vibrant India. We interviewed
0: her, I believe.
4: Yeah, and she has a, a condiment brand called Brooklyn Deli, which is Indian um, condiments. And she tells a story of learning to cook um, this this um, China Masala, which is an everyday um, chickpea stew from India with and how she would go back to India and her aunt would teach her how to cook this, this dish from scratch. and um, It's kind of a, a story of her, you know, it's really, all, most of these family stories all come down to kind of a story about love and expressions of love through food. And when I go, when I ask people for these stories, I don't really ask too much. I kind of let the subjects come to me with the story and it always blows me away that the stories they come with to me are very similar, um, that they're like this, you know, how food allowed them to express themselves and express their their cultural um, heritage and how food is an expression of love. So there's about 10 of these stories from people from all different backgrounds um, but there's a real common ground about you know the importance of sharing food and um how that kind of connects us all really. So there's
0: a new there's a new um group or what event, I don't know how to describe it, in, in our town. Um I think it kind of grew out of there was a, 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 a strangely enough an art project from uh, Carnegie Mellon University. Um, that it, it became a um, it's called con it was called Conflict Kitchen, and what, oh, right. yeah, and it was at first it was a walk up uh, window, um, you know, takeaway, uh, and every uh, month they would feature a different um, culture, the, the country that we were in conflict with, and have a menu of wow. foods from that country. Wow, I know
4: that sounds amazing, and, and then
0: it moved. And I don't know what happened, and finally went out of business. So I just read yesterday that there is a new group that's coming out of a, um, a a restaurant that is big on cooking from scratch. It's called Scratch, and they, oh
4: wow, uh, yeah,
0: and they just um, um, uh, coordinated a, a dinner series now uh, with uh, refugees who are here in town. Uh and oh, wow. that yeah, sounds
4: incredible. because
0: they figured that the best communication, the best way even if they don't speak the same language, the best way of communicating and um embracing uh the different cultures was through food. And so yeah. th- the first one is Syria. And it's coming up momentarily. Wow,
4: that sounds incredible! Yeah, I mean that's absolutely right. I mean, food is the non-threatening language, isn't it? So mm-hmm. if you don't want to. If you can't agree on politics. You can't agree on religion, um, but you can all sit down around a table and share a meal and have that common ground. So, I think there's some of the uh, the underlying messages definitely in in my book.
1: Now, in the ba- in the background information, that Ron sent us. There's reference to a multicultural food journal called Peddler yes. and, and a column yes. in the community kitchen. Tell, tell us quickly about those.
4: Uh, okay, so Peddler is actually my, um, a magazine that I created about two years ago, I believe, 2017. Um, it's a multicultural food journal. It's a little bit different to what's um, out there in mainstream press at the moment, what I wanted to create with Peddler is a journal that was really looking at home cooking. So we don't feature chefs, we don't feature famous names in food. Um, the heroes of Peddler are really just everyday people. Um, so we we started off with um, a issue that was themed Chinatown. So it was looking not at geographic Chinatowns, but the foods from you know, Asian households around the world. Um, it was a, kind of a dream come true. So it's, it's a natural progression. Every So after Chinatown, we followed up with um, childhood, and then there's been rice and the latest issue with grandma.
1: So oh, we just
4: look at, um, you yeah, know, foods from the home and what inspires us. And it's a really, it's a slower look at food. It's a quieter moment, um, the photography is that like the grammar issue was almost hundred percent shot on film, so we're looking for people to um it is nostalgic, it's unashamedly nostalgic. I mean people are very negative about nostalgia nowadays, saying there's you know too much nostalgia in food, you know why are we always looking for yeah, backwards, and it's like I feel like right now, particularly at this particular moment where food moves so fast, and you know with social media, everything is just going. You know, there's trends last for a day or a week and then there's a new trend. And, um, you know, I just want people to really, like, take a moment and to really understand the origins of food and the the traditions, the rituals, um, the histories. And I think by understanding that is really the only way we can really move into the future, Um, to Mm -hmm. respect what people have done in the past, to really be able to honour those, you know to honor those traditions to move into the future. I mean, that's what really Peddler is really Hattie, all about.
1: Hold on a second. If people are interested in getting this, how do they do that?
4: Um, so Peddler is available in stores throughout the world. There's a stockist page on the website, which is peddlerjournal.com, or, or you can actually just purchase directly from peddlerjournal.com. It's
1: peddler, peddlerjournal.com.
4: Peddler, yes,
1: P-E-D-D-L-E-R...
4: Just pedlar, P-E-D-D-L-E-R
1: and then journal, normal spelling, dot com. Great. So it's not dot co dot A-U, it's dot com?
4: Just dot com.
1: <laughs> well, I, I I sure hope our paths are going to cross sometime because you seem like a really fascinating person. <laughs> oh,
2: thank you. I'm not that fascinating. fascinating but mm-hmm. I...
1: <laughs> it's, been so much, it's been so much fun chatting with you and Please, please give our best regards to all the members of your family, whatever their food disposition is. Yeah.
0: Again, uh, well, it's Hetty McKinnon, and the book is called Family. And uh, you're going to learn an awful lot about more than just food in this book.
2: Hedy, thank you. Uh-huh.
4: Thank you for having me for on the menu. Lovely chatting to you.
2: Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we're going to be talking to
0: Andy Reichgood, Um, and he's with a company called um, Classic Cooking, but he's also talking to us about a line called Veggies Made Great, which is the new name for garden lights, and a particular line called uh, Frittatas, which we've been having a great deal of fun with. Um, he's going to line up, of course, with our general trend of c- conversation today of, of vegetarian So It's all vegetarian. I mean,
1: I mean it, it's egg-friendly. Yeah, well, that's, that's form so, of, so a form of vegetarian. So that's vegetarian. okay. But that, that fits as vegetarian. Some there's, there's some people, not to others, I guess, right?
0: There are various forms of vegetarian. One of them is uh, you could eat eggs. Some of you could eat fish and eggs. At any rate, uh, we didn't get into that.
1: Andy's all over it. Let's just listen to what he had to say about it, because he's such an enthusiast.
0: You know, we've been having such a good time with this product, and we're going to be talking to Andy Reichert about it. His employer, the company that makes these things we're having fun with, um, is Veggies Made Great. And it used to be Garden lights, but it's veggies made great. And the product we've been testing and sampling are frittatas. Um, At one point, Peter said, we just got a big box full of frittatas, and I had no idea what they were going to turn out to be. Andy, describe it.
2: (laughs) Well, so... Our frittatas, so first thing is the brand Veggies Make Great, everything we do, vegetables are the first and primary ingredient. So the frittatas are little mini breakfast or snack items that come frozen and individually wrapped. They're two ounces, but it's an egg-based product with lots of vegetables and cheese in it. So the first two that we launch is a spinach egg white frittata, uh, as I mentioned, Spinach is the first ingredient in that one. It's 70 calories. It's 5 grams of protein. Oh,
0: that makes me feel good.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and they're gluten-free and made with clean and simple ingredients. And they make a terrific uh, snack or breakfast, 30 seconds, 45 seconds out of the microwave or a couple minutes in the toaster oven, and you have a delicious breakfast. The other flavor we have, which I hope you guys got a chance to try, is the veggie bacon and potato.
0: No, we never got that.
2: Okay, well, that's a really interesting product. So if you if you bite it, it tastes very much like bacon, but there's no bacon in it. We make it with sliced, dried, smoked pinto beans. Pinto, too, because
0: Most of the pseudo-bacon products, they use mushrooms. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we found this great little dried pinto bean that tastes like oh, bacon. So that yeah. item is also five grams of protein and delicious. And the first ingredient in that one is cauliflower. So one of the things, you know, about the brand overall is we believe that one of the most important things in terms of getting this country to eat healthier uh, is to get people to eat more vegetables.
0: Yes, yeah, I agree. we're on a
2: mission. We are, Yeah, so we're, we know from the the government only 1 in 10 Americans eat the number of vegetables they're supposed to on a daily basis. Uh-huh. So we're on a mission to create the highest quality and we know it's got to be delicious, so we say our products are all remarkably delicious, veggie-rich food that you can eat and buy anywhere. So we come out with really convenient ways to get more veggies into your diet. And the frittatas are just the latest articulation of that. Um,
1: no. And we've what?
2: been having a lot of success because of it. Yeah, you
0: say it very been very successful. And it's made
2: also with cage-free eggs, right? The frittatas are made with cage-free eggs. Yeah, right.
1: Now, what, what another one we've been eating a lot of is has broccoli in it. Broccoli, so it's, so, 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 so it's obviously designed for Democrats.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we we actually just launched, and you can it's available in Kroger stores nationwide. A broccoli and cheddar veggie cake, and in Costco we just launched uh, broccoli and cheddar frittata. So yeah, we have. You can ah, get your well, broccoli fixed now too.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good.
2: Yeah. Now, now um, who designs?
0: The, are you going to like just keep coming up with new flavors of of the?
2: Well, yes. So we have. I'll give you a sneak peek coming very soon. We have a mushroom and three cheese frittata coming out um, this summer, and it is if you like mushrooms, it is absolutely delicious. I think
1: we I think we got some of those. Yeah,
0: well, what we got was the
1: mushrooms. Was, was mushroom and something and,
0: and the broccoli.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. So that's
0: what we got. No, we didn't get any of the others. So, but okay. That was, you're right, though. You're right on the mark that people really want to eat cleaner. Uh, they want to have few ingredients. They want uh, sustainability and healthy. Um, but they, you have to make it taste good, and yours tastes
2: good. Yeah, the reason why people don't eat enough vegetables is because they don't taste good. And, I mean, I you know, I remember back to the 80s where people, when they're told what is healthy, were told to eat low-fat and low-calories. And then in the 90s, it was about organic and all-natural, and then it evolved to paleo and low-carb and, and on and on and on and on and on. Consumers keep getting bombarded with all these messages of what eating healthy is.
0: Keto. (laughs) But the
2: one message, keto is the latest one. And some of these are great, but what's the one thing people for the last 50 years have been telling, you know, your kids or whoever, eat your fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And in this country, we don't have a problem with fruit. Uh, You know, a strawberry, a blueberry, an orange, kids or even adults, everybody eats those. They taste great. They're easy. They're convenient. But for whatever reason, vegetables have been a real struggle. Yeah. So...
0: yeah, I mean, I was raised on the Mediterranean diet, so, um, you know, we always were vegetable forward.
2: Yeah, well, you're lucky because there's a lot of people in this country who really just don't eat enough vegetables. And if you want to be healthy, it's frankly the easiest thing you could do to be healthy is just eat a lot of veggies. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
2: mm-hmm. So so we have products way beyond frittatas, though, to, to get people to eat more vegetables. We have sweet muffins. For example, we have a blueberry oat muffin, which the first two ingredients are zucchini and carrots, and it's a third veggie. Oh, no. Wonderful. And it's it's made with fresh zucchini and carrots. Every time we make it, we get a giant load of fresh zucchini and carrots. We add it to the batter, we make it, and we bake a muffin out of it. And we have a double chocolate muffin, which would blow your mind when you saw what's in it versus how it tastes. It tastes like a real chocolate muffin, and the first two ingredients are zucchini and carrots, and it's 35% veggie. It's absolutely delicious. No,
1: are you getting, are you getting your zucchini from is it Minnesota?
2: <laughs> we get it we get it from all all over the country actually. It's interesting because the growing seasons are different. And we always need fresh zucchini, whether it's December well, yeah. or April. No, right? so,
1: so, so somebody somebody we we were interviewing who's from Minnesota said, "You have to be very careful in the summertime in Minnesota to make sure you wind your windows up, or okay, well, you <laughs> come so, back to your car so, and you find a carload of TV." <laughs> <zucchini. laughs>
2: <laughs> they grow big up there. <laughs> and and lo- now, a lo-
1: lots of them too. Huh?
2: How, how old yeah. is this company? Give us Look, a little I mean, snapshot. Yeah. Of that. It's a really interesting company. It was started in the late 90s out of Gentleman's Kitchen, who was making local, fresh Jewish food to the New York area, so Kugel's and stuff like that. Uh And it grew and evolved, and they developed some products that the owner said, we think these are really great mainstream, general market-type items, and not just for a specific ethnic community. So they launched these vegetable soufflés in the in 2010, and it really touched the nerve of the consumers and did well. Um, but we learned from that initial offering, and we realized consumers want more familiar flavors and formats of their food. So instead of uh, vegetable soufflé, we came out with a spinach egg white frittata. Or instead of a, a butternut squash soufflé, we have a butternut squash veggie cake. Uh-huh. Um, and I already mentioned the sweet muffin. So we took we took the basis of what were delicious products and we put them in familiar flavor and format and, and convenient for consumers and we stuck them in the freezer section and we've been growing about 50% a year ever since.
1: Now, one, one of the great things about about these things is they're so, they're so convenient. Now, yeah. I, I don't,
0: Convenience is another thing that yeah, sells.
1: I don't know much about microwaves. We, I mean, gr- growing up, we never had one in my house. My, my sister got one. But that was after she was married and she'd moved out and she used to use it mostly to make soup.
0: She made angel food cake in her oh, she made cake I've too. Never, never heard of anybody using a microwave like your sister.
1: But, I'm but, but, but
0: it, 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 she figured out how to time everything, would go out all day and, and the dinner would be right ready from the microwave when but, we got but, home.
1: But these little buggers, these frittatas. Oh, they're, they're fast. They're, they're, really, they're really fast and they're really, they're really convenient. And the only thing you have to be careful of is that they if you leave them in there for two minutes, they do get kind of hot.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can definitely heat them up a little too much. But that's one of the things that has really helped us grow so much is the ability for these to be eaten for a breakfast, snack, side dish, even a dessert. The, the chocolate or blueberry or banana chocolate chip muffins, a lot of consumers eat them for dessert. They feel so much better about themselves yeah, we uh, do. because they They had vegetables, and it's only 110 calories, and they're gluten-free, and they're clean. So the ubiquity of the occasions that consumers can use our products has really helped drive a lot of our growth.
0: Well, I mean, they're worth it. And what about your background, Andy?
2: So I've been doing marketing of big consumer packaged goods products since 1997. I've had the pleasure of working on some great brands, some really large brands like Snickers and... Snickers. (laughs) Snickers. <laughs> that wasn't a hard Cake mix. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and cake mix, which, by the way, I just saw launch the microwavable cake, so maybe your sister was on something earlier than most.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, well, you know, the, the attraction was you could watch the angel food cake rise through the the uh, window in the microwave. Yeah. And it was but
2: dramatic. So, so I really enjoyed, you know, the... 15 to 20 years, I worked in big food companies, but I really wanted to work on food that I was really proud of. Um, Something that I felt like was helping solve the issue in this country of consumers eating healthier. And I knew the hurdles around why consumers aren't eating enough vegetables, and I found this company that was always already doing amazing things, and I thought this would be a place that we could really help – achieve this mission of getting consumers to eat the amount of vegetables that they really should by overcoming some of the barriers that they have. And and I think we're doing that, and it's really exciting, it's really fun, and it's really rewarding.
0: Well, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that we're able to promote this because, to be perfectly honest, a lot of the gluten-free stuff that people send us to try it tastes like cardboard. I mean, I have no idea why anybody would looks, want to it. Like, it looks like cardboard, too. It looks like cardboard. It tastes like cardboard. It <laughs> probably is cardboard.
1: Well, now, now let, let's uh, let's get a message out there. Do you do you have a store finder on a website that people can f- find where they can get this heavenly substance?
2: Oh, well, thank you for the plug. I appreciate it. Yeah, oh. veggiesmadegreat.com, and there's a store locator on there, and you can get us. I mean, some of the big retailers across the country, Target, Costco, Kroger. Um, If you live in the southeast, you can get us in Publix. If you live in Texas, you can get us at HEB. If you live in the northeast, you can get us at Stop and Shop and ShopRite and Kings and a whole bunch of retailers. We're really well-distributed nationally, Um, and and we're just really proud of what we're doing.
0: Your website, is it Classic Cooking or Veggies Made Great?
2: VeggiesMadeGreat dot com.
0: Great, we
1: got that. Got it. Well, well, you you're a young man who's great too. <laughs> thank, thank,
2: thank, thank you. I'm not so young, but I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> thank you for
0: thank. Andy. Thanks for talking yeah, to us. Yeah.
1: Thank you for sending us more stuff.
2: <laughs> you got it. You'll you'll be our new taste testers. A lot of new products are on their way to you. Great. Oh really? i Well, glad.
1: thank thank you so much for joining us today. It was a was was a whole lot of fun, and it's a great success story too. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Okay, okay. So, so so have we changed your dietary habits?
0: I don't know. Not me. Well, it's, <laughs> up, it's up
1: it's up to you to decide. But I, I'm su- sure it was a fascinating program with a with a lot of good information, and uh, you'll you'll revisit the the decision. I'm sure. But in the meantime, we're very much omnivores in this household, in this program, so we hope you'll join us again same time, same place next week when there'll be something equally interesting for you to listen to, something equally informative, and and don't forget to wish us a happy anniversary. So we'll be here same time, same place next week. We hope you'll join us then, and in the meantime, bye-bye.